Hello and welcome back to Fast Charge. This week I am joined by Toddy and Chris, both of whom you should know by now. Uh, we have a busy week this week. There's actually a lot of news and we had a tough time figuring out what we were going to talk about this time, but we have narrowed it down to three topics as always. First up, just this morning or sort of last night, depending on where you are, uh, the Lenovo Legion gaming phone leaked pretty comprehensively. So we are going to talk about that first up because it is wild. Uh, then we are turning to Huawei. Uh, who are trying to re-release the P30 for the third time, uh, which is a baller move, I've got to say. Uh, and finally, we are going to turn to COVID-19 tracing apps, because this week the UK has launched the beta version of its contact tracing app, and there are a lot of issues around that. So we're going to run through that to wrap things up. So first up, the Lenovo Legion. So if you're not aware, uh, Legion is the branding for Lenovo's line of gaming hardware. So they've done laptops, desktops, peripherals, all that kind of stuff within that gaming space under the Legion brand for, I don't know, a couple years, something like that. I'm not sure how long. I think it's a relatively new brand for them. Um, we've known for a little while that they were going to be doing a gaming phone to sort of sit in that space where it would compete with the Razer phone, the Asus ROG phone, stuff like that, the, the Xiaomi Blackshock. And we now basically have a good idea of what that Legion phone looks like. And it's pretty weird. <laughs> uh, it's... And I say this, like, a few of the gaming phones have made really interesting attempts to play with form factors to suit the way people use their phones for gaming, which has been really nice to see. And it's actually weirdly one of the more innovative spaces in phone hardware right now. It's basically gaming phones and foldables are the only places people are doing much that's new. Um... And one of the big ideas that's been at the heart of several of these phones is that if you are using your phone for gaming, that means a lot of the time you're going to hold it in landscape. And so they're trying to figure out, well, how do you change a phone design so that it works better when you're going to be holding it, you know, like this in your hands um, rather than the sort of vertical orientation most people do. Um, the Lenovo has basically mainly thought about this in terms of camera placement. For, so I'll run down the core specs, but the big things are Camera-wise, you're going to find the rear cameras sitting right in the middle of the back of the phone. So I don't just mean sort of the center of the top. I mean the uh, dead center of the back of the device. Um, so that when you are holding it in two hands, the cameras are not obscured by your fingers. Um, and then the other thing is that the front-facing camera is moved as well because they're going for a pop-up camera, which then sits on the right hand, I think, edge of the phone again in the center so that once again when you're holding the phone landscape to game that pop-up pops up in between your hands to sort of do like landscape selfie recording while you're gaming i guess with the idea that that's for streaming and stuff like that while you play i i mean i'm i don't game on my phone i game a lot but not on my phone but this seems really smart for a certain kind of use case what do you guys think I think it looks really cool. Which you can't say for all gaming phones. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, quite, uh, quite a lot of them. Like, I reviewed the Asus ROG Phone 2. Mm -hmm. um, I think I've at least played with the Razer ones. Um, I like, they're nice phones. Um, I kind of like, I like when phones are a bit weird. These days, mm -hmm. having, you know, <laughs> been, having tested so many over the years, like, it's sort of nice when something different comes along. Um, so yeah, I like I like the fact that the cameras are in the middle. Um, 
I get quite annoyed by most cameras being in the top corner with a camera bump anyway. Um, yeah. It so... does look like these are f the rear cameras are flush with the back of the phone, which I guess makes sense because a camera bump right in the middle of the device would be really annoying. Yeah, um, I would. Yeah, I would hate that when I was putting it down on the on the desk yeah. and stuff. <laughs> um, but does it like does it have a a shutter button like Sony phones? Which, to be honest, I think all phones should have a shutter button. I but... don't think there's a shutter button. There, like, sort of, it's going by like renders that go around the phone. I think I don't think I've seen any mention of there being a shutter button built in. There is a lot um, to be said, though, generally speaking, for having that central position. Because even, you know, if you do take photos in, in landscape, there is yep. that risk that your finger just brushes it or catches it or smears it or you get yep. your thumb. I've definitely got my finger in shot just at the edge of yep. frame. And that, that does fix that, you know, irrespective of this being a gaming phone. That's just actually quite a good implementation. I don't know whether I like the aesthetic effect that has as much no. as maybe having a top central like a OnePlus phone where it looks nice and tidy up at the top in the middle. But yeah. It's not bad, and I think functionally it's actually very well thought out, more so than you know any other gaming phone. Um, as you were saying, Chris, like gaming phones are fun to look at and fun to use because they're a little bit wild and weird. Mm. Um, but this one generally generally seems considered in its design uh, more so than its rivals. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I like that that aspect of it. Um, I, I, I haven't guess... jumped into the specs yet. I'll leave you to do that, Don. But yeah, it just seems like yeah. a, a really well thought out execution. I guess what I'm curious about is whether, particularly on the selfie camera placement, that pop-up, mm. whether that will cause issues the rest of the time using the phone. Um, things like it probably makes it more difficult than it's worth to try and use face unlock. Because pop-up <laughs> yeah. cameras for face unlock are fine, but if you're holding, if you just pick the phone up to use vertically, and like the way you might do that a lot of the time, your thumb would probably block where that pop-up comes out of. So you probably can't really helpfully use that for face unlock. Um, and I guess if you want to take a quick selfie, having to flip orientation every time might actually get a bit annoying. Um, if you actually want to use it for Instagram stories and stuff like that, having to hold your phone yeah. landscape for that. So it definitely will like limit some use cases. I guess it's just betting on there being enough people out there who think, I'm going to want to use this while gaming, and I'm not really going to want to use it that much the rest of the time. I mean, I feel like gaming phones as a category was born out of the Chinese market more than anywhere mm. else. So yeah. I, I, I'm curious to see what Lenovo does with its launch strategy. Obviously, the, the leaks so far, I think, have come from Chinese sources. Yeah, um, this is a Chinese leak for sure. Yeah, um, so it would be interesting to see just exactly where the phone crops up and who they're tr <laughs> trying to appeal to, excuse me. I um, wouldn't be surprised if this never makes it out of China mm. or maybe like China and India or something. Yeah. I, I, I hope we see it over here, but I would be, a, I'm not expecting a Western release. If it to be did, honest. I'd imagine be like just available from Lenovo directly and that's it. That, that kind of, of thing, situation. Yeah. Um, it's still a bit of a niche over here. Do people, um, uh, do, do phone gamers do live streaming where you can see the person playing? I think it's up to the software on the phone, right? Like... As yeah, like, I... you get a lot of Twitch and mm. those kind of platforms where you can see them playing, but you can also see the game. Mm. I assume the pop-up camera would be really good for that because they'd be gaming yeah. a landscape and then the camera would be perfect so you could see I, them. I'm pretty sure that's essentially the idea, yeah. yeah I, right. I don't know how much that happens yet, but that will only be a thing that happens more and more. Uh, yeah, I'll admit I, I wouldn't know myself what 
software would let you stream video from your phone while also gaming on that phone. I don't know if you can now. I think I'm sure you must be able to, but I, I did it with the Galaxy Note 4, I think it was. Um, oh, wow. I okay. think, yeah, I think when Twitch was first taking off, it was either Twitch or, or maybe YouTube Live. They built it in and you could play mm. uh, with your front camera running as well, right. picture in picture, uh, which at the time was a really amazing kind of addition. Mm. But I have not seen it even on like all these phones now that have this dedicated game space app or game center, yeah. whatever. Most of them, I'm more kind of accustomed to the just being game management tools with notifications, exactly. controls yep. and that kind of stuff. Um, but this, the way they've designed it, it would be silly to not have some sort of live streaming integration it in there. Must. Yeah, they, and they must have it baked in. Um, yeah. it, is, it is embarrassingly obvious none of us play games on our phones very often. <laughs> I played <laughs> PUBG Mobile so much when it first came out. Like, it was like every Early, day. Yeah. And then there's been nothing. Like, you know, when Fortnite came out, I was like, that's novel, but I'd hate Fortnite. So, <laughs> yeah. I mostly just play Mini Metro, which is, is not the kind of game people want to watch me play on Twitch. That so. is the game I use <laughs> to test this streaming feature on the Note as well. That game. Yeah. I love that game. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so otherwise it is a lot of fairly standard gaming stuff for what you'd expect from a gaming phone in 2020. Snapdragon 865 processors, obviously top of the line. That means it's going to be 5G. I uh, I don't think the leak has anything on RAM and storage, but I'm sure <laughs> it will 12. be a lot. <laughs> it's going to be 12 at least. Um, 144 hertz refresh rate. Yeah, which we saw so, in the Red Magic 3S, is it? Uh, Red one Magic of the Red 5G. Magics. Yeah, that will be it. The latest Red Magic, uh, which... Yeah, I think it's just called the Red Magic 5G. They dropped the numbering. Yeah. Um, it also has two USB-C ports, which, again, is a nice. sort of common thing you see. So you can attach more accessories and stuff and have accessories attached while you're charging and that kind of thing. Um, the other big headline bit, though, is charging, which is an interesting one for a gaming phone because it's not where you'd normally get the push. But it's got 90-watt fast charging. <laughs> Which, uh, if <laughs> depending on what who else releases before it, that you know could make it the first to do that speed wired charging. I think the most in a phone you can buy is sixty five watts. Yeah, from yeah. Oppo. The upcoming, the, I think the Mi Ten series from Xiaomi also supports it, but only in the markets it's available. It's not available in the UK yep. yet. These phones, but they, I think they I, technically said sixty six watt. But if you look on their website, yes. <laughs> it comes with a sixty five watt adapter in box. So That's it's, it. <laughs> yeah. So even if it oh, supports a lot more, it's basically still 65 watts. Yeah. Um, so we, um, we might have to change our benchmark because we, we test phones from uh, from being completely dead and charge them for half an hour to see how much percentage they get. But like we've tested a couple that have got to like nearly 100% in. Yeah. This uh, phone well, here and the Find X2. Yeah. Uh, so we might have to time them as to how quickly they get to 100 now. Yeah. yeah Find, Find X2 Pro did 97%, yeah. I and think, in half an hour. Realme X50 Pro did 96 in the same time frame. Uh, so <laughs> so Lenovo was saying 100% in 30 minutes for this. Uh, based on 90 watt, I would normally expect it would actually do it faster than that. Uh, <laughs> but um, the caveat there is it's also a big battery. So it's a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. So they're saying they're going to top up 5,000 milliamps in half an hour. <laughs> I'm assuming that is because all of these super fast charging phones use this dual cell design. So yep. I'm guessing that's actually two 2500s if they split it equally. Yep. Um, um, I don't know yeah, what that actually means for power distribution, but that's that's nuts. <laughs> it definitely is split equally. I think also this is part of the design and like the central camera stuff. There was a quote from um, 
someone senior in Lenovo China Mobile basically saying that one of the pain points they wanted to fix was having different surface temperatures on the, ah. on the back of the phone, on the left and the right. Again, this kind of thinking about how you use it landscape and the idea that the components, they get hotter all on one side of it. So part of the design of this and having the camera in the middle is about spreading out heat. So I'm sure battery placement. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's sort of the cells are split around the camera. Right, as symmetrical as they can make or it. something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 90 watts is, is mad. I think <laughs> we've seen someone, I think Oppo maybe have spoken about having 90 watt charging, but they've not put it in a phone yet. Yeah. You know, one you can buy. It's concept tech. Is there some uh, small print? We'll, we'll probably see some small print saying, uh, you must be charging it while dipped in an ice bath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <sure>. cool. <laughs> well, like, you, well, as, as long as it's waterproof. You reviewed the, the ROG phone too, right? And like that, that had the optional, yeah. as did the first one, the optional accessories, like the fan you could slap on the back and stuff like that, which yeah. I thought was pretty oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it comes with a fan. Oh, does it? Yeah, it comes oh, with nice. a fan Oh, nice. And I know some of the Red Magic phones <laughs> have a fan built in, like a Nintendo Switch. Um, I felt yeah. like Razer missed the trick with their gaming phones. I felt like they could have done more of an accessory roundup. You know, at the yeah. very least, to have that that you know fun LED lighting on more than just the phone itself. But I feel uh, for Razer; they were yeah. so ahead of the time. Yeah, and then it kind of flopped, and then everyone else started doing it and just picked up where they left off, did it better. Yeah, uh, and then but it was sort of by that time Razer had lost too much money on them to bother going for a third one. But they now there is a gaming phone market, and they're not in it, even they though they have created the it. underpinnings of a Nextbit phone. Like that was their first mistake. <laughs> Yeah, they should have yeah. launched that Project Linda laptop thing where the phone yes. slotted in. That was in cool. The, where the trackpad <laughs> is and powers the laptop. It and now Asus sells thing. a bunch of laptops where that is the lap, the, the key feature. <laughs> yeah, um, it's also a shame because yeah, I know we talked about design, but like the Razer ones are the only ones I would use as yeah. my phone yeah. in terms of how they looked. Um, <laughs> they all the other gaming gamery. phones, exactly. And this is the same. It's got like the the kind of Y Lenovo Legion logo on the back yeah and that will glow up in rgb colors and and all of that kind of thing uh has it got um has it got like air triggers like on the top i can't see anything about Survival. that again yeah. i haven't seen any mention of that i um, can see the words stylish outside savage inside which is pretty great <laughs> in a horrendous way yeah, I mean, it's got the dual USB-C port like we were talking about, so I'm guessing they're going to have accessories. So yeah. my bet would be more it might be they have controller accessories rather than the built-in uh, triggers that we've seen on some of the other ones. Yeah, I liked, but, um, I think it was Red Magic sure. who did a, an Ethernet-based dock as well. ROG Phone might have had the same thing. I thought that was a smart inclusion. Oh, yeah. I don't think ROG did. I don't remember one of those. ROG had a lot of accessories, but I don't yeah. remember any that were Ethernet-tied. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this is really cool. I mean, this is a, a relatively early leap, but it's a pretty comprehensive spec list. Um, I'm not sure if we know when we're expecting anything to come from this. Probably, you know, some of this is marketing material, so it looks like we might be getting something fairly soon. But um, like we said, no particular reason to think this is going to come anywhere outside of China. Mm. We'll see, but I wouldn't get your hopes up. But at the very least, it may then spur the other companies that do release worldwide to change their tack um, and incorporate some of these features in their next ones. So that would be cool. Anything else on that? Or are we ready to move on? Let's move on. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, th I think we might get it. We might get it. We'll see. Lenovo used to put phones out in Europe and they kind of stopped yeah. bothering. So, yeah. but, but then Motorola, the... Motorola might absorb some of those features. So Yeah, exactly. Now, the Huawei, I think, let me... Tell me if I've gotten this wrong. The Huawei P30 Pro New Edition. New Edition, yes, that is. Yeah. 
the name that has been batted about um just if you didn't see uh we've got a story on the site about this as well but um it was spotted just the other day that huawei germany is launching a campaign with vodafone germany and one of their mvnos as well i think called otello um i think it's something like you buy one of these specific huawei phones on contract and you get a tablet thrown in for good measure Mm-hmm. Um, that included the Huawei P30, the P30 Pro, the P30 Lite New Edition, which launched at the very start of 2020 in January. Mm-hmm. And then also a device that we'd not heard of, but kind of have heard of in the P30 Pro New Edition. Um, and this is the first mention that anyone has ever really seen of this new P30 Pro. Um, but okay. suspicions are that it is another p30 pro variant that maybe has some tweaked specs and maybe yep. some different finishes that's about all we know right now because there's no pictures of anything huawei hasn't responded to it in any mm-hmm. formal way um but what do you guys think a p30 pro new edition would be well so i mean i think the the going assumption here right is that the core thing about this from huawei's perspective is it will have google mobile services yeah yeah yep. that's kind of the, so, the hook <laughs> Um, for those unaware, obviously you, you probably know that Huawei phones these days don't run anything googly because of the uh, US Huawei trade ban. One of the oddities of that is that their old phones that were verified, like, like the point Huawei has to interact with Google is essentially getting its phones um, sort of approved for Android. I can't remember the exact terminology of the, right now. Um, and so one of the odd quirks is that phones that have already gone through the approval accreditation process are fine to release, fine to ship with Android. And so the quirk they're exploiting is that they can keep re-releasing the P30 as often as they like, and it is still officially an Android-approved device and can ship Android. Um, this is a trick they've done already once before with the P30 well, Pro. So, so I was about to say, thing, like, right? like, a potted history, like we had the P30 Pro came out March, March? last yeah. year. I think it was March 2019. And then in EFA, so September 2019, they basically relaunched it with, I just think, some new color finishes. Yeah, these kind of it? like two-tone effects, like glossy yeah. and kind of bead blasted or sand blasted or something, glass. Yeah, so they didn't rename it at that point, but it was basically the same phone again. It probably slightly varied the RAM and storage SKUs, added some new colors, and it was just more P30 because, again, by that point, they were already hitting up against the Mate 30 series, yeah. which they were trying to ship without Google and, you know, struggling to get anywhere with. Um, now we've had the P40 series. Also no Google, again, to mixed reviews because of that fact. Limited availability in Europe, even though they are now really trying to sell them. Um, it does feel like... It's a weird one because I think it belies that they know they're struggling to sell these phones without Google. And Huawei is very bullish in its statements about the Google situation. But it's business as usual. They don't care. They're still selling phones. It's not a problem. I'm pretty and sure when they do were... something like this, I'm kind of like, but it is a problem. Yeah, it? I'm pretty sure. This is a tacit admission. Just around the time, like the effects of the, the ban, the US ban, the entity list were, were going to take hold that um, their like CEO or someone was talking about the fact that, you know, they weren't worried about not having google apps and like you know they've been working really hard to build up app gallery their own app store Mm -hmm. and try and onboard new developers and all of this stuff um but doing this very thing seems like an absolute admission that they are struggling and they don't think they can really compete 
I mean, I know they can't compete. You, you can see based on the other reviews, they can't compete in the Western mm-hmm. markets, the markets outside of China where they sell without having those Google services. Because it's not just Google Apps. It's things like if your WhatsApp backup goes to Google Drive, you can't do that. Uber uses mapping, like all of these other things. So it's it's a huge problem for Huawei. It has been for a while now. And, and I think this is the most public admission that it's not working as of yet in their yeah. favor. And I, mean, I don't think it's going to change saying- anytime soon. Yeah, it's worth just saying quickly that they are still selling a lot of phones and they are still making a lot of money. I can't remember the details of their last earnings report, but they're still basically doing fine. That is partly because in China, it's much less of a big deal anyway, and that mm-hmm. is the core of their, their sales. So I don't want us to sound like we're saying, oh, Huawei's going under, because we know that's not the case. And they still have a big, they still have a load of old devices they can keep selling in Western markets anyway. So... They're still okay for now, but you know they they were in a growth position in in Europe, especially that they they're losing, um, and they're slipping down the slowly slipping down the global manufacturer sales rankings essentially. I still think they're um, in like the top four though, right? Like they're doing all right. Yeah. I think Xiaomi's yeah. now maybe moved up. I think I think Xiaomi overtook them, but I oh, I'm not 100 percent on that. But yeah, that's I guess the point I want to make. They are still like a top four phone manufacturer. This isn't doom and gloom. Huawei's dead. It's just they're still trying to figure out how they survive in this post Google world and just clinging on to their phones that had Google <laughs> is part of that for them right now. And it is from a PR perspective just a really weird move. Yeah, I wonder how this comes across to the general public who are who are sort of aware of Huawei and and their phones and thinking about buying them. I mean, I'd I'd be really confused if I was like semi into tech, I didn't really know, you know, to the level of like what that that we do, what's going on with mm. the ban with the ban and everything. I'd be really confused if I saw, oh yeah, the P forty's out, and then saw this. What? Why? What, why is there a new P thirty? Like, I, I wouldn't yep. get. I wouldn't be able to understand it. And like you say, they're they're sort of saying, oh, we don't we don't care about Google like the app. Uh, our app store's fine and blah, blah, blah. But it's a bit like a politician just sort of, you know, <laughs> get, you know carrying on because they have no other choice. Like, yeah, of course, like, everything's I've said fine. it now, I've yeah. got to commit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then they just keep feeding you that line. Totally. Um, I mean, I always wonder how much the average person even knows about the Google situation, especially when, like we said, you can still go find a Huawei phone in a phone shop that will have Google stuff on it because... There's so many phones from a year ago plus that they're still selling in Western markets and selling fine, and they're still fine phones that are worth buying. The P30 range, but also lots of their mid-range devices from around that time. Um, I guess they, they're sort of fighting a PR battle on two fronts because there's also all the stuff around their role in 5G infrastructure, mm-hmm. people having that fear, however ill-founded, that you know buying a Huawei phone is going to spy on you, stuff like that. I honestly think that probably hurts them more these days than the google apps things at least among people who aren't too tech savvy because that's what i think will stop so many people from even looking at a huawei phone yeah um and then it's only the tech savvy people who get far enough to then know that it also doesn't have google and that's a big problem the the thing i'm curious about is is how they're going to price it um because obviously yes it might have a bit more memory or ram or, or storage or something um but it is technically, for the most part, going to be using 2019 hardware. And you'd think that means it makes it a lot cheaper. But if they're calling it the new edition, are they going to try and... 
I don't want to say trick, but maybe by calling it the new edition, are they going to use that as a justification for keeping the price more competitive with current smartphone prices? That's what I'm curious to see. Like once it launches, how how much is it going to be basically? Yeah, you feel like at this point they've got to price it as a mid-range device, right? You can't... Yeah. It, it was a flagship a year ago, but the same specs now do not make it a flagship in 2020. Um, so if they can hit that sort of £500 line... Um, it, I mean, it falls into that funny space, which is a debate we have all the time as a team when we're recommending mid-range phones, is, you know, are you better off buying a new phone marketed as mid-range or buying last year's flagship, which will still be just as good and maybe better in a lot of cases and have higher end features, but cost the same as a new mid-range device. And the trade-off you're getting really is software support. The mid-range thing exactly. will probably get longer software support and have a later operating system version. But if that's the bit they're able to keep up to date, you Bless know, you. The, the, we're expecting this to have the latest version of EMUI that they can put on it. So you sort of have to wonder, there's going to be a really good argument if this is four or 500 pounds um, that you should buy this rather than most mid-range devices. It could be one of the best mid-range phones of the year. Yeah, I'm looking on Carphone Warehouse right now. So in the UK, you can buy the P30 Pro still. If you buy it SIM free, it's still 59999. So it's still 600 quid now. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which is so nuts. Up the RAM and shave 100 quid off that. And that's a fantastic purchase. Yeah. Uh, and let's, you know, let's also remember the P30 Pro was one of the absolute best cameras phones at the time yeah and it is still really good so from a camera perspective you're still going to get one of the the best phones on the market um even this a year is one on. of the this is one of the problems well uh, problems maybe for some people may not others but the way the the pace of the smartphone market often does mean like these older ones eh, it's still fine like yep. you know yeah. mo most most friends and family that come to me for advice i you know i don't really bothered to say yeah get the latest thing because no. you know prices drop so quickly and like you say a, a phone that's a year old is not you know is is fine it, it might yeah. they might they might make it seem like it's old it might seem old in the in the grand scheme of the of the market but like yeah i think we'll probably have a similar issue with the pixel 4a it's like well do you just buy the pixel 3 now it's probably like ridiculously cheap I'm currently in that conundrum with my mother-in-law. She's deliberating <laughs> between, I was like, either get the new iPhone SE or maybe you should get the Pixel 3 because that's good too. And it's actually cheaper. It's under 400 quid now. So And they mm. all just, all the retailers start clearing their stock of these old phones because yeah. they know yep. that nobody's going to want them. It's the exact, it's kind of similar to the headache we've had in our recommendations around the S10 line now where the S10 yeah. Lite came out. <laughs> nine months yeah, after the other S10 confusing. and the yeah. pricing of it and the spec combination of it makes this really weird conversation where I've gone back and forth in the comments on YouTube with so many people asking for advice and I'm like as prices on the various models keep going up and down it's like oh that difference maybe you get an S10 plus maybe you get a light because it's really hard to call whether you get the you know you can get a proper S10 for cheaper than an S10 light sometimes because it's yeah, older so the price the, has dropped the light is currently i think in our best android phones chart i'm not sure about the S10 yeah. standard but yeah, yeah it's but, a it's a weird way to weird, kick off 2020 <laughs> the weird thing is the S the S10 light is is more of an S20 really oh like absolutely in, in most ways like yeah. it, it was the like design tool there for a start yeah. right like it was the first <laughs> yeah. phone to use that design language Exactly. 
don't know what uh, all these phone companies keep doing. It's very <laughs> so I think that's enough on that. Um, yeah, the, the, the we have no idea when the new edition is going to be revealed if it's going to come out anywhere outside of was it germany we, we germany yeah i should say that that the, there's a slight giveaway because there's some dates tied to when like oh, really? you can pick up this deal with the tablet uh which if i just scan through this piece i wrote it's between the 15th of may and the 4th of june okay so soon so we should be we'll hearing know something what in the next that week phone or so. is yeah um, obviously, we don't know which markets this is going to come out in, so it may be something that's just a couple countries in Europe and nowhere yeah. else, and we don't know Germany how much will be different here. Big market for Huawei, I think, in Europe. Yeah. So, but we will know soon. Last but not least, COVID nineteen contact tracing apps. Uh, this has been sort of a topic that's been bubbling over for a few weeks. I've been sort of ignoring when we were going to tackle it on the show, but with the UK launching its app in beta this week, and Australia has just fully launched its own app it feels like about the time to kind of take a look at the state of things and how different countries are approaching them so uh the necessary context i guess is that the these are basically apps designed so that people install the app on their phone they walk around they walk past other people who also have the app installed on their phone you then if you get sick you self-report into the app you know hit a little button saying i'm now sick it will then ping an alert to people that you've walked nearby to tell them you've been in contact with someone who's got COVID-19, start self-isolating, get a test if you can, and all of that kind of thing. The big debates, there are essentially two, two debates going on about how to tackle these apps, um, which mostly tied together into do governments work with Apple and Google? Or do governments build these things themselves? And different countries are taking different approaches. The UK and Australia have both built their apps themselves. Um, Google and Apple have tied together to create an API that will work on both Android and iPhone, and that they're saying they're making available to countries to use. But different countries, some countries are on board with that. Others are saying that they want to handle the data themselves. They don't want to trust it with Apple and Google. There's questions about whether you handle the data centrally, um, i.e. all the data is sent to one central sort of um, server location and one central organization that processes it or is it distributed among the devices and thus it's handled like that so it's not centralized in the same way uh, and it's a big mess and the problem is it also then impacts just how well these things work so the uk and australia are both countries building their own apps they are not working with the apple and google ecosystem uh, the api sorry so the UK basically did that by choice. They just said they, they weren't going to do it. Australia is that way because they started building their app before Apple and Google announced their API. And they have actually said they're going to look at whether they can incorporate it to improve things. Uh, whereas the UK has been fairly bullish. And, you know, it's not just these two countries. Lots of other countries are taking the same line. Um, the downside basically comes down to Bluetooth permissions. So all of these things are trying to use Bluetooth to ping nearby devices. Um, but iOS and later versions of Android don't let apps constantly ping for Bluetooth devices because that's a tool that some apps have used for dodgy advertising practices and stuff like that. So it's something you don't have permissions for anymore, um, which is one of the downsides because it means that right now on iPhone and on modern Android devices, the Australian app and the UK app will basically only work while the app is open on your screen and for a few minutes after you close it. And after that, it is no longer pinging other devices. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Can I Which is quite the whole point a, of the app? 
Yeah, it's quite a big problem. So, of course, the difference with this Apple-Google API is they can break their own rules because they're Apple and Google. They own the operating system, so they have designed an API that breaks that Bluetooth pinging rule to just be used for COVID apps, um, you know, and to give out to, to government agencies, um, which means they will work all the time and work in the background and work anytime you've got your phone with you and powered on, rather than you having to walk around and hold the app open every time you're out of your house. <laughs> Which is just such a laughable problem. I can't believe it's actually where we are. Uh, it's, like, it's like going around with a metal detector, like scanning <laughs> for, for viruses. In terms, of, in terms of placing my trust, from a technical standpoint, if it was an app by Apple or Google versus an app by the NHS, no disrespect to the team that the NHS no doubt hired to build this app, I would put my faith in Apple and Google. Hmm. Obviously, the other thing, which I think, Dom, you mentioned before we start recording was there's also the matter of where do you place your trust in your data? Yeah. And either way, it's not exactly a, there's no kind of right or easy answer there, is there? It's just more, it's a do you GDPR, trust your... It's a GDPR <laughs> nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> right now, we can't worry yeah. about that. But that, but that is exactly it. It's, it's kind of issues around that. So like the UK government initially said uh, that only the NHS would have this data and this was part of why they didn't want to work with apple and google it was they were keeping it all in-house they've now kind of walked that back and said that they are open to letting people use that data for medical research which suddenly brings in all these privacy complaints because one of the key things apple and google have said is that anyone using this api cannot give that data out to anyone else like apple and google are being firm that if you use this api and if you use it for contact tracing it is only for contact tracing it is not designed to be used for any other purpose and you don't have the permissions to sell that user data on anywhere, whereas the UK government wants to be able to sell that user data on, um, which is a little concerning. Um, I don't want to sound like too much of a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> I don't really trust the UK government with all that location data any more than I trust Google and Apple. And I don't trust any of them a lot, but I'm long past that point with Google. Uh, I use Google Maps <laughs> constantly when i'm allowed to go out the house Plus has already been ripped off with google yeah. and apple <laughs> google know where i am all the time apple don't because i don't use an iphone uh the government generally don't so i'd rather just like keep all of my data in the google bucket like just let one evil organization know where i am at all times not yeah. all three yeah it's a shame we, people... we can't actually sorry you go chris yeah just i just think people that are worried about the privacy obviously don't quite realize how much companies like google already track them and stuff well exactly if, if you know a lot of people do say that the Brit britons made the right choice because they would trust their data with the government and not with google it is like well do you use google maps probably <laughs> if so google already has your location data most of the time you can even go in and see exactly what yeah. searches you've made and what routes you've done not ones you've actively used map for but ones that maps yeah. has detected you've taken exactly. it's all there to, to view if you want yeah. to view it it's not tucked away too hard yeah. Um, the thing I was going to say before was right now, I don't know what extent the Australian app has been rolled out and is, is being implemented. I think it is now widely available in Australia. Right. Because yeah. in the UK, uh, currently it's only localized to the Isle of Wight, which is a little yeah. island it's off the South Coast, if you don't know. Um, kind of like a test bed. It's a good test bed area, actually, mm. for you know the nation, for the, for the whole UK um, as a starting point. But uh I think it's we're already seeing, based on some of the reports, similar issues with this Bluetooth functionality and yeah. trying to make the right handshakes and detect other devices. And then, what, yeah, yeah, what they're kind of relying on, 
they've said they kind of have a workaround for this. And what people think they mean is that older versions of Android don't have the same Bluetooth. They're not as strict about Bluetooth handshakes. And what that means is that if, if there are enough old Android phones in the wild, they can be pinging constantly. And the idea is that they can set it up so that when iPhones and newer Android phones receive the ping, they can then do the handshake even if the app's not open. You know, so, so your iPhone won't be sending pings, but once it receives them from an Android 8 phone, it will then respond in kind and the handshake occurs and it's all fine. So it all hinges on there being enough old Android phones that haven't been updated to Android 9 or 10. It's funny that, you know, like when uh, Apple introduces a new version of iOS and they share that pie chart, which is like, look, we've got everyone on the latest version. The opposite is the better scenario in this case for Android. Google might be saving the world by being really <laughs> shoddy about Android. Yeah, exactly. Updates. There's a headline. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is um, one other complication to all this stuff around which like API you use, um, which is international cooperation. Because obviously a lot of what people are talking about is being able to try and create sort of digital COVID passports that verify whether you've been infected or not and whether you're immune Um and also being able to then tie into the contact tracing stuff. So what people would like in the world where we start to open up and be able to fly regularly again and all that is that it can be verified that you haven't come into contact with someone when you then travel, but also so that your contact tracing can continue when you travel and continue when you return home rather than being completely broken the moment you leave your country's borders. Um, again, if everyone's using the Apple Google API, that's going to be much easier to achieve as that can all link up without necessarily having to share the data with other government bodies. But if the NHS is handling all of the UK's data, then the only way for it to work when I go to France is for the NHS to work with the French government health agency or whatever. So many hoops. And there's no way to do that without them getting that data and them so having many to give my data to, to France. For that to work. Um, and everyone's got to be using compatible systems and all this stuff. And again, it's like we have one compatible system. Apple and Google made it. And I, I know there's scary stuff around just putting us entirely in the hands of two big tech companies. But in this case, like, I, it's just hard to see that anything else is going to work better. I, I am curious, uh, Chris, to you as well as the people listening or watching, uh, where do you feel more comfortable if you have to make the choice between your government and Apple slash Google? Where are you more comfortable having your, you know, even if it's anonymized location data? Or contact data? Probably, I guess it's similar to Dom. I'm so deep into the Google knows everything about me <laughs> sort of yeah. tun tunnel or rabbit hole, whatever you want to call yep. it, that uh, it doesn't really matter anymore. Like um, <laughs> my my sort yeah. of my sort of view on that is like I'm I'm just one person in millions that use this stuff. Well, mm. what, why would why would they care about me more than anyone else? Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too bothered, and and, same, and especially when when it comes to something like this, I think uh, I, you know, if if I could do some, if I can help, if I can be of use in this kind of situation, then I don't, I don't care about my my you know personal data to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where the NHS is talking a lot about how. You know, when, when, when people have raised the privacy concerns, a lot of the government response here has been, well, it's all voluntary. No one has to use the app. And it makes you aware of all the permissions you're going to have to say yes to. And it's like, well, yeah, but if, if there's enough there that's going to put people off, that will stop people using it. 
Absolutely. And then that reduces the efficacy of it, which is such a big problem. Um, it needs to be a, a little of enough of a concern that people are willing to make that trade-off of their own privacy for the greater good. Um, and the more permissions people have to say yes to, the more worries people have about who's got the data. But, um, uh, at the moment they roll this this app out nationwide, I think we'll start to hear a lot more uh, privacy concern stories crop up. For sure. Once everyone's getting their phone pulled with this app or being told you should download this app and then they install yeah. it and they see everything that it asks for. I'd be curious to see that setup process for the app. I yeah. want to know exactly what the wording is like in terms of how your data is being used. Absolutely. I, I wanted to take a look, but um, they've they've made it difficult to get hold of if you're not on the Isle of Wight because it is meant to be a beta test there. And I was starting to think about the workarounds I could use, but then I also saw that they put out a statement saying, they hope people don't try and get it elsewhere because it will affect the data they have sure, the sure. and screw it up. So trying I to thought, VPN okay, to the Isle of Wight. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking, right, can I get a VPN? But I just thought, you know, I, I don't want to contribute to, like, damaging yeah. the, 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 the beta test data, so I'll leave it be. Um, but, yeah, I know some people in Australia who've been, you know, testing theirs and saying from everything they can tell it is that same issue where as soon as it leaves your home, as soon as it leaves your screen and you close it, the pings stop and not doing anything anymore yeah have they said anything about when it's going to launch nationwide sorry chris um i don't think they've given a timetable just based on the tests based on how the beta test goes yeah right i was just going to say i assume they're using bluetooth because that's the uh lowest power option to do this but it's sort of it's, it's just reminded me of like nintendo street pass it's sort of a similar concept to that isn't it but <laughs> i think that that used wi-fi yeah, oh my God. I, if this guessing... happened when everyone had a DS or whatever, that would be amazing <laughs> yeah. if they turned it into the... That was the way that COVID was tracked. That'd be incredible. Yeah, they should talk to Nintendo about uh, to get some tips. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't actually looked at why it's just Bluetooth that's being used by everything. I assume it is the power side because it is definitely going to be much lower power consumption than Wi-Fi. There may also be other OS restrictions on Wi-Fi handshakes. I, well, I, I would I, assume there are. I thought it was something to do with range because they don't want it to be too widespread because obviously if you're like 20 feet away and Wi-Fi True. direct can reach that far, that's actually beyond any kind of dangerous range. I don't know, yeah, I don't know if you can set a max range for it to register or something. Because typically doing it like Bluetooth that. is like 10 to 30 feet depending on obstructions, I think is what yeah. they say nowadays, and I which think I think the... realistically is smaller. So. Yeah. And one thing I should say is the way they're doing it for the Bluetooth ones is generally it won't ping everyone you've walked past because obviously that would be too many people and there'd be false positives all the time. The idea is it will ping people you've spent prolonged contact with uh, or walked past a lot. Right. So basically it's only if you're going to, if it spots sort of repeated handshakes yeah. between the same devices on you know how they're determining what counts, what the threshold is, I don't know. Yeah. But then it will say, okay, there's good odds a transmission might have occurred. So like key but workers just, on a bus or something. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you're just walking past someone once on the other side of the street and it's just in Bluetooth range, that shouldn't trigger a, a an alert on their phone that they might have it if yeah. and when you test positive. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I think that's uh, time now. Um, I, th I feel like this is something we might end up coming back to in another week once apps are more widespread worldwide and we get a better sense of how different countries are doing it. This is all still early stages and... We're basically just figuring out what's going to happen and what's going to work well and how it's going to affect when things open up. Uh, like I said, the whole reason Australia isn't using the Google API is just because it's gotten its app out so quickly that it was you know, most of the way there before the API became an option. Um, 
And again, you know, with the NHS, like we haven't tried the app, we don't know how well it works, and whatever the flaws with it, it's really impressive they've gotten it so quickly. together this fast, and there's something ready to beta test and go. Um, uh, and I know a lot of other countries are, are, are working to get similar stuff, so we're going to see a lot more of these pop up over the next month or so, and then we'll really get a sense of the spread worldwide, how many countries work with Apple and Google, and how many don't, and and what that affects. I certainly think if we say started to see a global network of contract tracing among the companies that use the API and the other countries were excluded. That's the sort of thing that would put that big pressure on the UK and Australia to get on board. Um, but yeah, we will see. Um, bit of a you know somber end, I'm afraid. <laughs> but uh, thank you everyone who stuck with us for another week. Uh, thank you to Chris and Toddy for joining me, as always. Uh, you know, like and subscribe, jump in the comments and let us know what you think about any of this. Especially, I would love to know what anyone watching thinks about that question of whether you trust Google and Apple more or less than your own government with your data. Because I'm really curious what way other people go on that. I'm aware as tech journalists, we may be anomalies there. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much and see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Hey.